Welcome to Shaping Healthcare, a podcast by Sidious Tech. Some of the great minds in the world are constantly striving to solve the healthcare industry's greatest challenges with technology, creativity, and agility. With every episode of the Shaping Healthcare podcast, we will take you deeper into the world of healthcare and life sciences and give you a perspective into what it takes to build a human-first, technologically-enabled healthcare world. I'm your host, Laurel Rockle. Joining us today is Madhu Madhanan, a visionary in the realm of healthcare technology and digital transformation. Currently serving as the Vice President of DevSecOps Practices at Sidious Tech, Madhu brings a wealth of expertise and experience, particularly in the integration of DevSecOps within the healthcare sector. His journey spans over a decade of profound contributions at WIPRO Digital and culminating in his current leadership role at Sidious Tech, where he drives innovation and technological convergence in healthcare. With the deep-seated commitment to leveraging cutting-edge technology and agile methodologies, Madhu is at the forefront of shaping patient-centric digital solutions in healthcare. His insight into DevSecOps, product engineering, and digital strategy make him a pivotal figure in guiding healthcare organizations through their digital transformation journeys. Madhu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. It's been great. It's always great to talk about the DevSecOps and healthcare because that's the latest in the world. And there are some exciting stuff that's happening in the industry. And I'm really happy to be here to share some of my views and what the industry is doing and where it's going. It's fantastic times. Thank you for having me here. Well, I'm so thrilled to have you and your expertise here to talk about DevSecOps. And personally, I'm always very intrigued what gets experts into the field that they're currently in. Like, what was their path? Sometimes I feel like it's pretty linear. You know, you can see that progress happening in someone's career. And then sometimes it has a very interesting or creative path that it takes. So for you, can you tell us a little bit about what brought you specifically into healthcare and its technological developments? Well, absolutely. So generally speaking, if you see when we look at technologists and evangelists, like when we really get very passionate about certain technology, during your career, you really get a spark at some point in time saying, okay, yeah, this is what you want to do in life. And uh, one such instance happened for me as well. And that's the reason I chose uh, healthcare specifically, because the characteristics of healthcare itself is two important things. One is there are a lot of passionate people who really want to change the world. They want to make the world a better place to live, right? You would have spoken to us, a lot of the leaders like us, wherein they really want to make it better in terms of health because it's there everywhere. Now, for those kind of leaders who have this visionary idea, there needs to be the how. Right? And technology has always been the ladder that they have used to really bring about change in the world. Right? Now, why it became very important for me to contribute to healthcare is I wanted to be that augmentation or that ladder that visionaries in the world can actually make this difference. Because making the difference, thinking big and providing a wonderful solutions is one, but providing the ecosystem to make it happen in a very seamless fashion, in a very scaled fashion, is a challenge by itself. And that's my area of expertise. So over two decades, I have learned a lot about how do we implement these technologies in very critical infrastructures, in healthcare, in specific areas where there are a lot of regulations. And it's a perfect marriage of taking 
let's say technological innovations into a space which is very important that can make a difference in the world and have it available for those leaders to make a difference in this world. That's the reason I really like healthcare because I know that there are great ideas and if you're able to bring in the right mechanism to get it implemented, we can really make a difference in this world. And that's the reason I really like these two terms together, healthcare and technology together, what we call health tech. That's perfect. And I think so many people, yeah, they go into healthcare because like, I want to help people. But the future, well, the current reality, I should say, as well as the future is technology and that growth there in that sector there. So wonderful. Well, we're so glad to have you here and your expertise on DevSecOps. And with regards to that, because of your extensive experience, how do you see AI and generative AI transforming this landscape of DevSecOps in healthcare? Okay. Fantastic question. And that's a question that everybody asks us. You take any topic, they want to know what generative AI can do for us. It's a very, very interesting world. The reason is, I'm sure when you really look at healthcare, one of the key characteristics of healthcare is that it generates a lot of data. So when we build applications specifically for healthcare and health tech, we are talking about using a lot of data. We're talking about automated validations. We're talking about compliance to it. We're talking about evidence generation. And all of these are specifically well-suited for DevSecOps. And AI in DevSecOps is actually going to be a boom for engineers in healthcare space because it actually fits in very nicely in two, two ways. One is there is AI for DevSecOps and there is DevSecOps for AI. And these are two separate things. One is how can AI slash generative AI can really help you practice DevSecOps. And there are about 16 areas within DevSecOps where we use extensive data, pattern recognition, automation. And all of these are very, very good candidates for AI or generative AI. And I will cover some of the aspects of generative AI in particular. Because when we today talk about generative AI, generally people refer to generative content, an ability for us to create content. Now, even if you take content as an example, today, if somebody is doing, let's say, software engineering, building a great application or a solution to improve patient health or anything around patient health monitoring, there are a lot of areas where we'll have to generate content. For example, you might have to release, create, release notes. You might have to really go into the infrastructure and discover what's happening. All the areas today where we do pattern recognition, AI can definitely help. And generative AI can take one step further in generating some of these documentations, evidences, and solutions, which are today manually being done. So if you look at the life cycle of any software development, specifically in the GXP space or in the healthcare space, you will see about 20 to 35% of the time is spent in generating these documents or evidences. And all of this can be very easily done by using generative AI as a tool by the engineers themselves. Why this is important is because if you take a step back and understand DevSecOps itself, like I said, there are great visionaries who want to build fantastic solutions to really change what the patients, the providers, and all the other actors in the healthcare ecosystem experience. Now, to do that, you need to have a very seamless engineering ecosystem. So I usually give an example to my teams saying that you might be a race car driver. You can build a fantastic race car system, a fantastic racing car, excellent engine, excellent specs, 
you will have a fantastic driver who can drive around it but never forget the race track the devsecops is the race track for it right i can build a fantastic system but i need to have the underlying track in which i can perform excellently well so all the devsecops professionals our job is to build this race track in which you can build bring in great systems that can go very very quickly you can adjust to what the patients are telling us adjust to how the feedback that we're getting from the healthcare professionals to really rebuild take the feedback and make it available for them in that case if you take the race track analogy there are a lot of things that we collect and generative ai can generate it for us can collect it for us even automatically improve the overall engineering experience or what we call the developer experience itself because it's like an offering we give to the developers for them to concentrate only on building fantastic products and not necessarily the race track itself that's one way of looking at it the second part of your question is an important one which is devsecops for ai the recent changes that you're seeing is more and more applications want to embed artificial intelligence or generative artificial intelligence as part of their core solution now if you treat this to what happened 10 years back let's say somebody said i wanted to bring data analytics as part of my core solution we built something called as data ops data ops was a model that told how do you really use data as a core and create a devsecops experience for it similarly today we have llm ops the large language model ops as to how do you treat large language models in a very orchestrated fashion in a devsecops way so that is also something that is newly coming up in terms of how do you really do devsecops for applications where they have ai at its core so these are the exciting things because what we are doing right now is we are now learning from what we did in the past and applying to newer technologies and making this very very easy for the development team or the engineering team to really take that new idea and make it available in production that's how we see it and that this is exciting time for all the developers because everybody will now talk this language and we are happy that everybody is talking this language that's great i love that race track analogy i think that i mean i love a good analogy but i think that's a very good one to use for devsecops and that those operations there and so i guess you know when you're bringing up some of these examples here do you have some specific examples of how these technologies are enhancing the security enhancing the efficiency in healthcare application development well absolutely because if you really look at when we start building certain applications and we talk about specifically healthcare the first and foremost term that everybody understands in our space is high trust everybody says it has to be high trust certified it talks about building let's say today if you want to build an application and you want to be compliant to cedran there are certain requirements in terms of how we do certain stuff and how we collect information one of the foremost requirement is what is called a software bill of material essentially what it says from a security standpoint is every component that makes up your product should be inventorized and we should know if there are any dependencies in it i'll give you an example so today when we build modern applications modern applications have become so abstract that they have dependencies on certain open source solutions which we might not directly use but they have dependent based on the layers on how we build it it's called transitive dependencies today what the system says is when i'm building a critical infrastructure or a critical application that manages patients health record or patients information in it it is very important that all the vulnerabilities in not only the primary library that i've used but also all the underlying libraries are very well identified 
and patched if there is a, a specific issue that has been identified. For example, if there is a zero-day vulnerability that has been identified, the entire stack on which the application has to be built needs to be immediately patched and immediately identified. So today, by using something called as a software bill of material, you will be able to identify this dependency very, very quickly. And using DevSecOps processes, you can patch them very, very quickly. The classic example is the log4g problem that we had some time back. Right? The entire industry wanted to go and patch it. So organizations that practiced some amount of DevSecOps practices were able to patch this a lot more faster. And organizations that have been very mature in these practices could actually do it in a couple of days. That is the difference between how we are able to do it very, very quickly plus versus a very manual approach of going and patching it everywhere. So that is one example of all the various processes that fit into it in terms of how we do it. It is also maturing. It is not that it's just about patching or identifying. How do we even build it in a way that it already addresses secure by design? It is not an afterthought, but how can I do it as part of it? And it need not be even a conscious thought in a developer's mind. The DevSecOps processes are designed in such a way that security becomes embedded as part of how they build systems. And it need not be a conscious thing that they have to do, but it is actually part of the systems on how they do things. That's the change that is uh, that we're seeing specifically from a DevSecOps standpoint. Yeah. You know, in that middle portion of DevSecOps, <laughs> the security bit, you mentioned identifying these things and just having that already woven into your applications and your technology. In what ways does AI assist in identifying, mm -hmm. but then also mitigating these potential security risks mm -hmm. in these DevSecOps processes? Absolutely. So the way we can uh, define this is if you look at how we do it today. So at least in the DevSecOps space, what we're trying to emulate is what a human would do. Okay? Let's assume I am responsible for the security practices of a particular application that is going to interact directly with the patient's data or patient's device or any of those as such. Now, what I would do is that I will ensure the designs are accurate. I will ensure that the evidences that point to the testing is accurate. I identify all the surface or what we call threat surface where an attack can happen. Are there controls around it? I also ensure that there are adequate controls when it runs in production to protect against any kind of cyber attack. Right? Now, this is what Madhu as an individual would do. Now, if I take the same lens and look at, is it possible for an AI system to do it? The answer is yes. The reason is most of the checks that I perform, most of the design that I perform are programmatic in nature, which is there is an input, there is an algorithm, and there is a validation. I really don't have to use my judgment. So mostly in the DevSecOps space, 70 to 85% of the work that we do is algorithmic in nature. There is an input. There is a set of processes and there is an output against which we validate. So this becomes a very, very good candidate for AI. So of all the practices in software engineering, if you really look at which is the practice that is very well suited for AI and generative AI, it will always be DevSecOps as such. The reason is DevSecOps is all about building the right practices and also securing the ecosystem in which the entire application runs. And hence, it becomes the first candidate for any kind of automation. I'll give you an example. So today, we have roughly around 172 tools in the DevSecOps space. If you go into the industry, there are about 172 tools. 
across various vendors. Most of these tools have some form of AI or generative AI included as part of it. Today, I could just write a prompt and it can actually create the corresponding automation that I need to get the work done. All that the enterprises have to do today to really create what we call the virtual DevSecOps engineer is to chain them together and have a prompt written. And it can perform fantastically well. Now, the question comes, okay, does it make all the DevSecOps engineers redundant? The answer is no, because earlier we used to do things manually, then came automation, now we have AI. So it becomes an additional tool that the DevSecOps engineer can use today. I can just ask a question. It can give me the foundational solution that I need to apply. I add context to it, and then now I'm able to deploy it in the enterprise. And that is what we are seeing. DevSecOps is a very important area where you could immediately apply AI. And since DevSecOps is all about data, evidence, process compliance, and automation, generative AI plays a very important role in making this a lot more faster. Absolutely. I can see, well, you know, AI across the board and used in various positions, not even outside DevSecOps, is that automation piece. And so I could absolutely see how that takes away some of that, quote unquote, busy work that tedious time that you could take to now do what you're best at. <laughs> and, <then> you can... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and there is a very important need for it. I'll give you a classic use case of what happens in the industry today. So let me take an example of me being an application developer, not a DevSecOps engineer. I'm an application developer. Now the business team comes and tells me, build a fantastic solution that will make patient experience extremely good. So we all agreed to it. We said, okay, there is a genuine reason which can make patient experience fantastic good. Let's start work on it. So what happens today? Today we say we are a modern enterprise and there is a caveat to it. Right? That modern enterprise usually means you work with large amount of data. You actually work on the cloud. You follow agile practices right? and you have automation at its core and you want to have a mechanism that allows for faster customer feedback and the agility in responding to this. Now, what we have essentially said is as a developer, I need to have at least 12 individual skills for me to work on this. Now, go to the industry and look for someone who's got 12 individual skills for them to work on this. It's going to be extremely difficult. But that is the reality. The reality is we need engineers who have these 12 to 14 skills for them to be able to build this fantastic product. So how do you bridge this gap? The gap is because you don't need the skills, the primary skills that they need to do just feature development is generally about four to five. The other eight that we're looking at is all about how do you work in this ecosystem? Do you know how to do infrastructure automation? Do you know how to write CI/CD pipeline? There are other skills like these, which is expected of them. Like say, for example, do you know how to work with policies? Do you know how to work with OPA? Now what enterprises are doing right now is it is really difficult to find people with these skills. So if you're able to automate your ecosystem, if you're able to really create an ecosystem in which the teams need not possess this skill at an expertise level, but as a consumer level, if they have this, they can still be an expert in their core skill, which is building fantastic products. And the ecosystem is well automated so that they don't have to start looking for people with this 12 skills. It's really difficult to find these people. And that's how you make the difference. Today, when you say, I want to transform my organization, you transform the organization by making the ecosystem for the developers easier, not by transforming the individual itself, because transforming the individual takes a lot more time. You can transform the ecosystem in which they thrive 
then they have this capacity now, then they have this additional capacity which they can use to innovate in for the benefit of our customers. That is where the world is going to go. Given your background, your extensive expertise in DevSecOps practices and scaling those, what have you found to be the most significant challenges implementing these practices at the enterprise level within healthcare organizations? Yes. Fantastic. Thank you for asking that question because that is where we usually start. So when we say DevSecOps, there is a very interesting problem to start with. How do you define DevSecOps? So up until 2019, there were no single definition of what was DevSecOps. Everybody had a different definition of what DevOps was. Then uh, we jokingly used to say it's star dev, star ops. You can put anything in the star. You can call it biz DevOps, biz DevSecOps, test DevOps. There were so many iterations and combinations of it, right? So we asked, okay, how do you define what is DevSecOps? Because that's the fundamental problem. Because everybody talks about this five blind men and elephant. That's how DevOps started. Everybody had their own definition. But today, that's not our problem. Our problem is that we have zoo. We don't have just an elephant. We have a zoo of animals, and each of the animals have their own characteristics, and each of them is a definition of DevSecOps. So every enterprise started having their own DevSecOps, which was the first problem. But in 2019, U.S. Department of Defense actually published an article. They declassified a document. It was called DevSecOps Reference Design. Now, from 2019 on, it became a little more easier because you could base the DevSecOps definition. What is DevSecOps based on that document? Because it was accepted as a general standard. So the first problem is that how far or how aligned are you to this general reference document in your own implementation? That's the first challenge because it is very important that we get the enterprise narrative right of what DevSecOps is. And that's the first challenge that we see. Now, the second challenge is over the last five years, every organization, small, big, large startups, enterprises, all of them have tried DevOps in one form or the other. Right? Everybody has piloted it in small parts. The biggest challenge is how do you do this at scale? Because you can do it for one team, you can do it for 10 teams, but how do you do it at scale? And how do you really institutionalize this? How do you make this a culture? Because like I was just mentioning, DevSecOps is a way of working. It is not a set of rules that you need to follow. It's not just about automation. It's about how do you really inculcate a DevSecOps ways of working, which has agility in it, which has got feedback in it, it's got continuous learning in it, it's got security first, it's got customer at the core. There are some principles. How do you really do it? So while you could do it for a smaller team, how do you do it at a larger enterprise level is the second challenge that they have. Third, when we do it at an enterprise scale, like in any change management principle, how do you govern this? Because now it's not just about people. It's about processes that's moving very fast. It's about automations that is changing. And it's about tools that is evolving a lot more faster. And now to add to that mix, you also have AI, which you are not able to explain how it behaves. So all of these four components at an enterprise level, how do you do it is the biggest challenge. And the last challenge that organizations have is they want to do it faster, the adoption faster, and they want to do it economically. Because 10 years back, the way we would have done DevSecOps at the enterprise is very different from how we do it today. So the question is, how can I do it in a very non-intrusive manner? Because it's like this. If you go to a developer and you ask a developer, what's your favorite IDE? I can tell you, if you talk to 10,000 people, 10,000 people would have 10,000 opinions. Because we're all engineers, right? We are very passionate about the tools that we use. So how do you really make them 
align to an enterprise standard at an enterprise level at a, in a very quick fashion as well as in a very economical way and make their culture. That is an enterprise challenge that we have to solve for when we talk about adopting at an enterprise level. How do those changes or how do those challenges different when they're implemented at a team level versus the enterprise level? So when you look at it at a team level, right, we're talking about a team of 10 people. So I'll expand it a little bit more. Let's say we have a small product that's got about 10 teams. So we're talking about about 100 people. Now, like I said, there are 16 dimensions that go into DevSecOps, and then we really want to implement it. What the general approach has always been, I will do what is called the intervention model. What is an intervention model? I will bring in a team external to this 10 teams who will come and work with these 10 teams to show them the new ways of work. It could be to coach them. It could be to mentor them. It could be even to augment them with a certain set of automations that they will do specifically for them. So it essentially means that I bring in a three-month intervention team that can come and coach you, mentor you, build this automation for you, show you how it is done, and then they can step back and these teams can continue doing. Now, this particular model is very labor-intensive. It is very human-intensive. It is very expert-intensive. And it is very personal-dependent. You need to have people who can teach people how it is done. And it should also not impact the business deliverables that they have already committed. Now, this has been always been the model. It's a tried and tested model. It works. There are intervention models. There are inoculation models. There are a lot of models in which we bring in experts to get this change done. Now, depending on the amount of change in terms of, let's say, a lower maturity DevOps versus a higher maturity DevSecOps, the timelines can vary. The amount of time this team needs to be engaged. Now, this is what happens at a team level. Plus, if you're talking about a team level or a team of team of 10 teams, let's say we have about 100 people, one hour or agile release train, like we safe calls it. It is very easy to have a team that talks to each other without to have any centralized command and control. You can actually talk to them. We can solve it for that particular context. And the solution is very context specific. Now, when you try to scale a context specific solution at an enterprise level, it will not work. Because let's say today I have to solve a problem in three months. Let's say in a CICD pipeline, as an example, I might embed gates and qualities gates and thresholds within the pipeline. It serves the purpose. It will work for the team. But if I take the same pipeline and use it in a different part of the enterprise, it will not work. The reason is the context is different. The threshold is different. The gates are different. Now I have to rewrite the entire pipeline. Now, while these models work at a smaller team level, when you try to scale it at an enterprise level, the same linear model of adoption will not work. Because we need to go into a non-linear model or what is called a pattern-based model or a platform-based model for us to be able to really scale it. Because today's tools allows us to do it. And that's the major difference in terms of how do we do this at scale without having a human? How do you scale without having a human? Having a human intervention as an exception and not by design. That's the challenge enterprises are trying to solve. And you mentioned linear versus nonlinear adoption of DevSecOps. And that was actually something I wanted to ask you about. So, you know, I know at Sidious Tech, it, they're known for more innovative approach to DevSecOps. And so could you elaborate on how your methods at Sidious Tech and your company, they stand out, particularly regarding that nonlinear adoption of DevSecOps in large healthcare organizations? Absolutely. 
So if you really look at doing DevSecOps for healthcare, there are a few characteristics that very clearly stand out. One is that there has to be patterns because in large enterprises, you don't have one cookie cutter solution that works for everybody. Generally, you need patterns uh, that addresses different parts of the organization. Second is what we believe in is we need to really look at an automation first approach, which is how do you really build in with automation in its mind? And when we say automation, there is a principle called GitOps, which we use as part of our automation itself, which is everything is code for us and everything is treated like code and managed like code. So GitOps is an approach that we take. The third important aspect is how do you really scale? Because like I said, the intervention model does not scale so well. And it's very, very cost intensive and time intensive. So then we looked at to see what could be a possible nonlinear approach that we could take. And the solution to that was a platform-driven approach. So think of it mechanism wherein we can codify these patterns and make it available as a platform. And the platform is a self-service solution to the de development team. The same use case that we spoke of, let's say you have a 10-member, 10 team, 100 people in total. Now we want to do this for 1,000 people. Now, if I already have CKCD pipelines available as a pattern, and if I go and click on a particular button and fill in a form, and that CICD pipeline that I need is available to me in my own time. So essentially what we have built is instead of having three coaches or three mentors or three experts do it for 100 people, now you have a standardized way of doing it available to all the 1,000 people, and they can do it at their own pace. So what we're essentially doing is we are distributing the effort that is required to make this transformation amongst the entire community so that they can do it at their own pace. Else what would have happened is we as experts would have gone as an intervention team, provided the solution, created the planning for them, and then executed for them. And we become the bottleneck. The idea now is since DevSecOps is a way of working, you can actually codify it in the tools that we have, make it available as self-service solutions and patterns, which you can just click on one click and then it'll be available to the teams and that they can start adopting it. And maybe I'll quote an example. It'll be easier for you. So today, when we talk about practicing DevSecOps, like I said, we need anywhere between 12 to 14 skills. Why? Because the entire CI-CD pipeline or what we call the DevSecOps pipeline uh, uses about 10 to 12 tools. Now, what would classic happen? If I join any organization today, what is expected of me is to go and raise requests. I will raise about six to seven requests for me to get access to all these tools. After which, if I'm an expert, I spend the next three months or two months writing the CICD pipelines that is appropriate for the application that I'm building. Then I start becoming productive by using those CICD pipelines. Now, the entire time, the day zero onboarding experience is we have lost a lot of time. There's a lot of requests that we have done. What you could alternatively do is you could create an onboarding pipeline wherein you go, click in, fill in some information about it, select a particular blueprint. We call it a blueprint, wherein it talks about what are the various thresholds, configurations, pipelines that need to be applied. You visualize a world wherein if you go into the platform, you select it, and then next 10 minutes, you have everything that you need to become productive. Now, what has happened is since we have applied a standard, I can rapidly deploy it. I can monitor it and I can centrally even change it. And I can bring a complete visibility into what is happening in the underlying pattern. So what we have done is we have made the ecosystem a lot more easier 
for the development community to work on it. And that's how we can build this transformation. And then it becomes nonlinear because now the development team can choose when they can start the transformation without having to invest in an intervention team to come and help them. And that is a huge change because today, if you see, you can do this 30% faster. You can do this about 25% cheaper. And standardization becomes about 75% because it is standardized by design. And the amount of effort that is required for governance, compliance monitoring, auditing, documentation significantly reduces because the systems generated themselves. And you introduce generative AI into it. Now you have created a system that will have more value-added activity by the developer community in comparison to all the other ecosystem-related work that they generally do, which is close to 37 to 42% of their daily work goes into the ecosystem. That's what the developer experience survey says today. Today, if any enterprise runs a developer experience survey, they can find out anywhere between 37 to 42% of your developer's time is lost in interacting with the ecosystem. That's the one we want to capitalize and give it back to the developer community so that they can learn more stuff and build great products. That's how we see it. Yeah, so much faster, more efficient. It sounds like the results overall are just so much greater than more traditional method. And that's amazing. And then, yeah, again, it allows the developers to be the best at what they do and develop themselves too (laughs) and their skills. It's not any different to them, right? So today, if you go into, let's say, AWS or into Azure, any of the cloud providers, you get exactly the same experience. So what the developers ask us is, when I build applications that gives this kind of an experience to my end customer, why can't I have the same experience? I'm also a consumer. So enterprise capability should be available as a catalog item to our development team. Then they can do wonders for us. So that is the change that is happening from a developer experience standpoint, which is powered by DevSecOps. And generative AI and AI is going to make it a lot more easier for us to do that. And threading into that, you're just pulling out a bigger picture here. How do you see DevSecOps contributing to the broader vision of transforming healthcare, the goals, sort of supporting the goals of patient-centric healthcare right. innovation? So, I see, one of the important aspects of transforming healthcare is the ability to adopt newer technologies. Say, I'll give you an example. So, today, I want to build an application, let's say, this EMR, EHR, or any of the uh, patient health monitoring. And I understand that a new technology is coming. Let's say the technology is self-healing, right? which is I want to make sure the application is always available. The reliability of the application is fantastic. The solution for that is to adopt this new technology called self-healing. Now, there are two questions that comes to us from a DevSecOps standpoint. How quickly can I make it available for my particular application? And how reliably can I make it available for my particular application? So like I said, if a business team can dream of it, the engineering team should be able to make it. And for them to make it, the ecosystem should allow us to be able to integrate some of these new technology solutions. So by practicing DevSecOps, what we have created is a mechanism for us to rapidly bring this innovation to production. So what does DevSecOps help us do is while meeting the regulatory standards, while meeting the security standards, while offering the required guardrails and controls around it, how quickly can I bring in new technologies that are in the bleeding edge into mainstream in production so it can really transform how 
the healthcare is really looking at applications. What is the experience patients are going through? That is the power of DevSecOps. Because what we are saying is, as a business owner, as a product owner, you can identify a particular area which our patients need, our providers need, or care actors need. And that can be translated into a technology requirement. It can be found in the industry as to what is the latest and greatest. And DevSecOps allows you to take that innovation, embed it into your solution as quickly as possible, and bring it to our production so it can be tested on the field and then improved so that it improves the overall vision of transforming healthcare itself. And advantage of using DevSecOps itself, because it allows you to do this in a very, very structured, scalable, robust manner. And that's the advantage. That's how it makes a difference in engineering. And when it comes to patient care, like the patient experience, I know we're talking in development right now, but in terms of like just me as a patient, what would DevSecOps provide for me? Or I should say, how does that change my experience as a patient, like a real life example? So let's say, for example, you actually have, let's say, a monitoring device. Let's say I have a blood sugar monitoring device that is attached to to me and I'm, I'm supposed to collect the data into a centralized cloud server. Now, the basic requirement for this such a device is that the data is able to be cached within the device and the device is able to communicate to the cloud in a very secure fashion. And you're absolutely sure that the data cannot be hacked cannot be accessed by anybody else, and it follows all the required guidelines. This is what we do today. There is no change to this. This is a bare minimum requirement of how we want to do medical devices. Now, tomorrow, I want to introduce a new capability that says that this remote device is able to now regulate, let's say, an insulin shot to the patient. So earlier, it was a passive device that was collecting data. Now it is an active device that's going to actually regulate how an insulin shot happens on a fixed frequency. So now what has happened is, you have actually changed the classification of the device from one to another, and now it requires additional controls. Now as a patient, let's say, now the same device, now it's going to do something different. You want to be absolutely rest assured that it follows all the necessary guidelines that is required, and the way the device reacts today is in lines with what your provider or your care provider has actually defined it. Now, you don't want to have a second thoughts around how will this device work? What happens to my data? Is it secure? All of that things. What DevSecOps guarantees is if you are following all of these processes, the way the system upgrades itself will make sure that all the regulations that is required, all the regulatory needs, starting from the way it is designed till the way it is deployed into production is in lines with what the regulatory needs are, what the security needs are, all the privacy needs are. That is what DevSecOps guarantees. It says, as a process, it guarantees all of these are compliant and it stays compliant even if the device keeps updating itself and upgrading its features. That's what, as a patient, that you get to see, saying that all new solutions and innovations that come to you as a patient has now gone through this process of DevSecOps, which means you can be guaranteed that, okay, it, is, it meets all the necessary needs, which is one part of it, which is the guarantee of quality and compliance. There's a second part of it. You also want, as a customer, as a consumer, as a patient, all the latest technology to come to you. It also guarantees that it will come to you, and when it reaches you in production, it will be more reliable. The reliability of the solution also is guaranteed, which means today, 
if there is going to be a failure, it is handled more gracefully. There is a set of reliability facts that comes along with the particular device itself as such. And it's not only for the devices on premises or what you carry, but also the same reliability is applicable for the data that sits on the cloud over all the subsystems that make up this entire solution to work. So guarantee in reliability, guarantee in bringing the solution as quickly as possible to the patient, and also guarantee that as you upgrade and keep moving, the standards will always be met even before it comes to you in a very, very proactive fashion. That's what DevSecOps guarantees an end consumer or an end patient. Which is huge, right? That peace of mind, just having that is huge for the patient experience. So thank you for that, that example. In the context of DevSecOps, how crucial is data-driven decision-making for healthcare organizations? Like the sharing your thoughts on how that approach aids in the course correction and efficiency? Oh, absolutely. Because the minute we say we are a DevSecOps organization, essentially what you have done is you have instrumented a lot of your engineering practices as well as all the various products that you've built. Because it's one of the core principles of DevSecOps that you have to instrument and observe. The minute you instrument and observe, you generate a lot of data. In the healthcare space, you already have a lot of primary data that talks about how the patients are, how are they reacting, and we actually build data analytics around it. You have to extend the same thing to your engineering organization as well, wherein now the decision should be data-driven. You can actually do data-driven decision-making. For example, I'll give you another comparison of how this looks like. If you take an airplane engine, let's say if you take a Boeing engine, you actually have instrumentation of the entire engine, which is at any point in time, you could tell what exactly is happening as the engine is running. Right? So you have instrumented that you have a digital twin equivalent that will tell you what exactly is happening in that particular engine as it runs. Right? Take the same example to your engineering. You are building an application that is very, very critical to patient care and it is running in production, you want to really see what is happening in that application as well as what was the sequence of steps that were followed before this application was actually built. Now, you could create a similar engineering twin that tells you what exactly is happening throughout this entire life cycle of this application as well as what is happening in production. That allows us to really take data-driven decision-making because now you have data. From data, you can really bring in insights and then from insights, you can really bring in intelligence. Now, that comes to a very important point of convergence between data-driven decision-making and the use of AI itself. Because today, what you see here, the entire system that we have always built is to have the human in the loop. Okay? So today, if you see, when we build dashboards and reports, it is understood or it is expected that the human who is reading these dashboards know how to read it as well as how to respond to it. Now, think about the amount of data that we're generating, just showing graphs and line graphs and summary numbers. Sometimes it's very, very overwhelming for an average individual. Anybody, even somebody like me who actually looks at it, I have 13 graphs to look at it. I don't know how to interpret it. And then you teach them how to interpret it and it takes a lot of time to build it. So what is happening in the data-driven decision-making world is that you're going into prescriptive analytics. This is another area of generative AI or AI as such wherein it can look at these loads of data and metrics and intelligence that we have gathered and then recommend what should be the next course of action. It could say this particular release requires a little bit of more security scanning. Here is a security scan that got skipped. So it is an alert for you. So actionable intelligence becomes the de facto for teams. So today you can now go to an average 
engineering manager in Che. These are all the exceptions that have been identified, and here is a set of recommended action. So the next evolution of it is to really go into what is called actionable intelligence, which is what we want to give to the teams. And for that, data-driven decision-making becomes fundamental. Now, what happens after that? In five years from now, what you will see is actionable intelligence will now be used by AI. So today we talk about generated content. Gen AI is generative content generation. We will go into a world where it will be generated action. So essentially what we will have is we will have the LLM models, the foundation models, specifically built for engineering. And then you will have these prescriptive actions that is coming up, which will be used by the AI to even take certain actions. So the human in the loop will be a reviewer, will be an expert to tell how it needs to be done. But the action itself can be now done by the, the AI agents or what we call the healthcare agents who can do some first level, second level troubleshooting by themselves. So that is what we call data-driven decision making because it's about converting data, making a culture of using data as a primary, which is what we call the single source of truth, a single source of truth to really say what is happening, then using that to create what is called actionable intelligence and then extending that into our next partner, which is the AI to really do it for us. And then we become the reviewers of it. That's how the progression is going to be. That's such a cool vision to see. If I could ask, is that closer in time than it is further? Uh, having no, it is actually very closer in time. So, okay. so even today, if you see, I can give you an example. So today, if you look at some of these healthcare data that we manage today in, in serious tech, we have a lot of data that needs to be analyzed. We have already moved towards conversation analytics. You don't need dashboards. You don't need reports. If you have a very specific question about, let's say, what is going to be a particular rate for a health plan or what is going to be a treatment for a particular uh, disease or who is an expert that is available for me to go consult. These are very pointed, specific questions that you could chat into a board. And as conversation analytics, it can go run the analytics for you and give you a very precise answer. So if you look at some of these patterns that is emerging in Gen AI, which is called RAG, Retrieval Augmented Generative Content. Solutions built around that allows us to really create these solutions for us to be able to interact with the data itself in a very conversational fashion, as an example. Right? Now, when we go into generative action, it is also existing today. There are GPT actions, there are GPT agents that are actually able to do actions. So in terms of data-driven decision-making, single pane of glass, conversation analytics, that is the reality of today. But in very, very near future, we will go into an aspect of key decision-making being done by the AI systems as well. If, when it comes to pure engineering, because of course we will have some classifications of how we'll do it. But yeah, it's not very far away. It's very pretty close when I mean, we go there. Wow. And it, as it becomes increasingly integral to these healthcare applications, what are some of the unique considerations and adjustments that need to be made in DevSecOps practices to accommodate AI solutions? So one of the important things that we have to accommodate for is like any other tech stack, there are a lot of areas where it can make a mistake. So for today, if you look at AI as a capability that we are building in a DevSecOps standpoint, OWASP, which is one of the bodies, have actually just listed out top 10 list of vulnerabilities that happens when you build applications that have large language models. So essentially top 10 things that can go wrong when you actually build it. So as a DevSecOps professional, what we immediately do is to try to put a control across these 10 things. So today, if I'm building a large language model or an application that uses large language models, 
we try and put together a security control around these 10 so that we know that these 10 known vulnerabilities can be now addressed, which is point one. The second part of it is when you are really building these LLM models, there are a lot of areas where people talk about discrimination, bias that gets introduced into this generative AI solutions or foundation models or the LLM models. And there are known mechanisms of how to really remove these biases. As a DevSecOps professional, it is what we do next is to try to automate it. Because what we believe in is removing bias, removing discrimination. All of this are now part of the ecosystem because LLM has become part of the ecosystem. And anything in the ecosystem should be automated by the DevSecOps professionals. So what we try and do is we try to create these gates and conditions which can now be applied on top of these solutions that teams have built. So the teams can still concentrate on building those solutions and the automations exist to address bias or any kind of discriminations that gets introduced, which is the second part. The first part is vulnerabilities. The second part is bias and discrimination that gets created. Now, there is a third part. The third part is not everybody builds foundation models. Right? So what happens in the DevSecOps space is not everybody builds NLM because it's a very expensive proposition. So more and more solutions are going to be what we call retrieval augmented generation, specifically for RAG pattern. How do you really create a CI-CD pipeline? How do you really do this? How do you really encapsulate it into all the security controls? And how do you protect it when it goes into production is another area that we actively work on. So these are some of the things that we really look at it. There is one area for which we still don't have a very great solution. It is still in, in the working. That's an area that we look at it, which is when we talk about building generative AI content. Uh, in many places, it is looked at as a black box. We still don't know how some of these machine learning models really look at it. So there are some active research that is going on explainability of some of these results. So once we have a very concrete way of explaining how it arrived at a certain result, we will be able to put some controls around that as well, which will become an integral part of how you build AI integrated applications as such. Because it also has another important aspect of it is while people talk about AI integrated applications, today how it is making a difference is today we have developer community, the engineering community using generative AI for code generation. They use it for code generation. They use it for improving their own productivity. We also need to have certain controls of what do we do with code that are generated by these code generating tools like CodeWisp or Copilot or even ChatGPT for that matter. How do you check for, for bias in those? Those are also some of the things that we do from the DevSecOps standpoint to ensure that while you're using generative technologies like these, how do you ensure that it is in the best interest of the customer, best interest of the patient? and best interest of the regulators, so that it is in line with how we want to really build it. And that those are some of the active areas that we are working at in terms of DevSecOps for this generative AI world. Wow. It's really interesting to be here to see what the future is going to hold, you know, and the future of AI and what healthcare technologies is doing. And so as we uh, wrap up our discussion here, which has been fantastic, thank you so much for your expertise. <laughs> Can you share your vision for the future of DevSecOps in healthcare? Like, how do you see these emerging technologies shaping mm -hmm. the practices in healthcare? And also, a little second part to that, what advice would you give to some healthcare organizations that are looking to stay ahead of this rapidly evolving landscape? Absolutely. I think all we have to look at is the history of DevSecOps itself, and that will tell us where this world is going to go. Right? Mm -hmm. So 10 years back, 
2009 or even if you go 2009, there was nothing called DevSecOps or even DevOps for that matter. So over the last, let's say, uh, about a decade, we have been collecting all the best practices and clubbing them together as DevSecOps. DevSecOps has been nothing but a set of best practices that came together that became the de facto standard for doing software engineering. Now, if you take the same trend and push it forward, what you will see is today you might have a DevSecOps expert or an engineer who will say, I'm a DevSecOps engineer, or people like me who will say, we are experts in DevSecOps. In five years from now, you won't have any of them because it's going to become a way of doing things. It just becomes inculcated as practices into some of our developers. So that's going to be the way we do things. And that is going to be the success of the industry, wherein just like the way Agile way of development has become de facto today, DevSecOps way of development will become de facto in the near future. That is one thing. And that is a success for teams like us because now we have made it as a culture within the engineering organization itself. So that is where it goes. So that the entire, the fact that we have a separate team that needs to teach people how to do it would actually move away and we'll have teams themselves practicing this on a day-to-day basis. Now, the second thing is the capability of it also will start slowly increasing. So today, if you see, when I want to write a CI/CD pipeline, a pipeline to really put something into production, I can do it in under, let's say, an hour, at best two hours. You could have a really good pipeline in under two hours, fully functioning. Right? Now, in three or four years from now, you will see some of these processes, the amount of automation will be so high, we will move into what is called self-managing solutions. Our engineering will be very, very transparent at an enterprise level. We will have self-managing solutions which means the applications will manage themselves. And that is one of the important aspects of reliability. It will know how to react if there is an error. It will know how to gracefully handle a failure. And it will know how to really build an entire application around the overall solutions also. So those are some of the things that we are seeing as the future itself, which is one. The second aspect of it is ability to adopt a new technology. The speed in which cloud service providers are bringing in newer technology stacks we should be able to bring it, integrate it into our application a lot more faster. And that's going to be a lot more a high velocity in the near future. And that's something that will be definitely changing our ability to adopt newer technology stacks. Now to your, the question on what you want to tell the healthcare organizations. A healthcare organization initially had a view that we are a regulated industry and DevSecOps is not possible in a regulated industry. Now this changed when the US Department of Defense bought in this DevSecOps framework. So now one is all regulated industry should adopt DevSecOps because it's auditor's favorite. Whatever the auditors wanted, right, we can really automate it for them. And this gives them that additional productivity kick for them to really do something different and really go cha- transform the patient space. So all organizations, it is just a matter of how do we do it? It is not a matter of why should we do it? And that is the major difference. And the newer tools that are there in the industry actually make it a lot more easier to do it. And uh, one thing that I would like to share with them is, please look at a non-linear way of doing it at an enterprise level, which is an important accelerator. Second is data-driven decision-making. This too can really make a difference in the way we do DevSecOps at scale for specifically healthcare, because there are a lot of requirements when it comes to high trust, CSV, GXP. There are a lot of... Uh, some of these frameworks that we have to really get, uh, SOX, DSS, so much of uh, 
frameworks that we have to adhere to. And all of these could be very easily codified into an automated system using DevSecOps as a core principle. And this will give them tremendous productivity boost. It will give them tremendous go-to-market speed and uh, fantastic patient experience. What a wonderful conversation with you today, Madhu. I really appreciate your time and your expertise and sitting down with us today to tell us all about DevSecOps in the healthcare tech space. It's amazing. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> I think it's great. It's usually nice to speak about uh, topics that you really believe in and have very passionate about. And I'm sure uh, you will see more and more people talk about this. The reason is people have started identifying that DevSecOps is the way in which we could really inculcate it as a culture for the engineering teams. Because like I said, our job is to ensure people who dream of changing the world have the right ecosystem to change the world. So we are the, in simple terms, the kingmakers. We are not the kings, we are the kingmakers. And thank you so much for bringing that expertise, but then your passion to the show today. We really appreciate thank you, that. Thank you. thank you. The Shaping Healthcare Podcast is brought to you by Sidious Tech, a leader in healthcare consulting and IT services. To find out more about Sidious Tech, visit SidiousTech.com. To listen to more interesting insights on healthcare technology and innovations, search and subscribe to the Shaping Healthcare Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want to share any feedback or would like to be featured in our podcast, do write to us at SidiousVision at SidiousTech.com.